All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fucking ham palace guards? How are you? Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF. Today, Jimmy Vivino is on the show. Jimmy Vivino is very important to me. Jimmy is the uh, guitar player of the uh, Basic Cable Band. And uh, on the Conan O'Brien show, he's been playing on the Conan O'Brien show since the beginning of the Conan O'Brien show. But he is the band leader on the current configuration before he was playing under the uh, the leadership of Max Weinberg. The reason he's important to me is that uh, I play guitar most of my life. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I was eight or nine when I first started taking guitar lessons. And at that point, I was playing a big old weird acoustic harmony guitar that my dad used to own. And uh, I, I was certainly no savant. I was no prodigy. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I was, you know, me and my brother would play and we'd sing and we'd time out the amount of songs we had to play to get through the practices that my mother made us do. Um, I think we played Johnny Be Good. I think we played Country Roads. I think we played, um, uh, what was the other one? Rocky Raccoon, you know, stuff that we could get through and stuff that was simple. But nonetheless, a guitar has been part of my life for most of my life. And Jimmy is a great guitar player. Now, I'll come back around to Jimmy. Now, here's the deal with me and guitar playing. I was in a couple of bands that knew three songs. I never was in a band that played a real gig or that had a real set list. I've never been any good at figuring out songs. I've never been had the focus or the attention to figure out songs. You know, it wasn't until I learned a few scales from uh, a teacher, Vaughn McMillan, back in Albuquerque. But I think I feel like I've told you all this. The point is... I've never been a guy that's had that much confidence on the guitar. I've never understood until very lately, until recently in the last few years, that you know you play with feeling, and if you're you know proficient enough, you can put something together for yourself. I always judge myself against other people. I always thought I was just okay, and I think I am just okay. But I never put a band together, and oddly, it's one of the only regrets I have in my life is not really indulging or engaging in my passion to play music. Uh, I've done it a little for you. But like that, you know, it's, uh, I, I know it's not too late. Maybe I'll do it. But here's how Jimmy's important. Jimmy Vivino and I talked at some point during my, you know, one of my many appearances on the old Conan show. And I just would talk to him about guitars. And then he, at one point he said, do you want me to, you want a guitar to fool around with? I'm like, hell yeah. So he gave me one of his beautiful old guitars and he's a guy with a lot of guitars and, you know, and I play it and I was like, thank you. And then he started like, when I do the show, he'd show me a couple riffs, you know, he'd show me a couple licks and like, he was just starting to open my brain up a little more to playing because I never learned new things. I'd always just sort of improvise and do my own thing. I knew a few scales I could feel around, but he actually opened my brain up to, to as a grown man to learn guitar, you know, to, to sort of feel it. In, in you know you know he would just it would almost be like he'd dole out these licks as soon as I could handle them like he would just show me little tricks mostly blues licks when I do Conan and and then it got to this point where every time I do Conan there was an amp and a guitar waiting in my dressing room for me just to fuck off and then he'd come in and we talk a little bit about blues or about players and about stuff and then he'd uh, I go well show me that thing show me a new thing and he'd show me a new thing so on some level. 
Jimmy's been giving me guitar lessons for the past 10 years. Very, very spontaneously and sporadically, maybe two or three times a year, but he's been giving me guitar lessons, you know, and, and every time, you know, he would show me what the real guy was doing, whether it be Freddie King or Albert King or Peter Green or whoever, I was sort of like studying at the time. He'd show me how it's really done. He'd show me some tricks. Like uh, I think recently, he, you know, we talked about vibrato a little bit. I have a innate ability to pull down on the vibrato and, and that sounds good, but to actually make some deliberate choices about pushing up on vibrato. I hope this isn't boring anybody, but but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, Jimmy's uh, is a great player. He's got a record out, um, Jimmy Favino and the Black Italians, 13 Live. You can get the record you can go to right to his site. You can go to jimmyvavino.com. He's just a great player. He's played with everybody. This is an amazing conversation. It was amazing for me to, you know, to really talk to a, a guy who is a, he's a session player. You know, he's a background player. You know, he's a, a backup musician. And that's all he ever wanted to be. And he's been doing it all his life. And lately, I, I don't really buy guitars. I, you know, I've, had, I've gotten a few as gifts. I, you know, I, the, Recently bought an acoustic guitar that I like. I've had a couple of guitars most of my life. And the exciting thing for me is that, and this is some, this is tangible to me. And it's not tangible to me necessarily in, in, in any other part of my life. Look, I know that I've gotten more comfortable with myself. I know that as a stand-up and as a broadcaster and, and as what I do here, I have obviously, I've obviously grown into it and I've become uh comfortable here and it's it's i'm doing the best work i've ever done in my chosen fields be it you know comedy or or podcasting here but with guitar i know for a fact that i've learned how to become a better player in the last few years just because i've learned for a fact that i like to i've always liked to just play guitar to get out of myself and to meditate almost and to just kind of noodle sometimes when i'm watching tv i'll just sit there and i'll run finger exercises for no reason other than to do it to keep vital to keep to keep at it and because of jimmy and because of of some of the the doors he's provided for me with just very small things man you know i mean just like little little tricks you know he's just opened me up to know that i can learn and continue to to try to make the instrument my own as best i can but like I am so hard on myself and I, I know that some of you other people have this experience with almost anything it could be. It's just you have these expectations compared to what? You know, like what do I really expect out of it? What if I can't be a, a virtuoso or a great guitar? But it's like if I can play with some feeling for my own purposes, good. You know, I should probably record more of it. But but Jimmy was important because of that. And I did get a new guitar recently. I did, I did. I, it took me two years to to talk um to get gibson to get behind me you know and give me a, a 335 it took a few years and a 335 is a beautiful fucking guitar and i never thought i would have a guitar like this and i never thought i would feel a guitar like this and i never thought that i that i earned a guitar like this that, that i that i should have one this guitar, I, I, I almost slept with it the other night. You know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I almost slept with it. I'm not really that guy. Like I said, I'm not, like I'm not a guitar wizard or anything, but, but I almost slept with this guitar. I got it. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a vintage Sunburst 335. And I still don't think I, I deserve this guitar. I just don't. And, uh, 
I fucking love it. It feels like, you know, it's got some weight to it. I'm sitting here holding it and I, I, I'm not even doing it justice because you can't see me. I'm just sitting here holding this guitar. <sighs> I'm just going to end up like, you know, saving some money and uh, and stopping this and just, you know, playing small gigs, playing some weird song list of songs I like and maybe a couple I've written when I wrote it. You'll be the first to hear my songs if I write them, if I have the courage to do it. I'm surprised I have the courage to play for you, uh, you know, at the end of these shows. But anyways, uh, we're going to talk to Jimmy Vivino, and I just wanted to really talk about how important he, he was in my life. Look, I've gone on and on, on and off in my life where I didn't play guitar as regularly as I do now, but I do it now for my sanity. You know, not to prove anything to anybody, but, you know, it's one of the few things I really enjoy, and I really enjoyed talking to Jimmy. Thrilled right now to, uh, to share with, the, with you um, my conversation with Jimmy Vivino from the Basic Cable Band. So listen, enjoy. I didn't know that, uh, you know, someone just told me that uh, your brother is Uncle Floyd. Only people, uh, are, we're not recording yet, right? Sure we are. Oh, only people who are uh, New Jersey. really from the tri-state area, right. but found it, you know, stumbled upon it. Uh, How long was he on the air for? Well, uh, 20-something years. Right forever. Yeah, but you know what he did uh, before there was FCC rules? He would go out to the local like pet store, yeah. the bakery. Right. You want to buy some time on a TV show? Yeah. Hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. He go to he go to twenty guys and he'd just give them a mention. And yeah, he'd give them a mention. He made little commercials. He, he would pay like I don't know something like five hundred dollars yeah. to rent the studio for the day. Yeah. And do five shows in one day. Right. And <laughs> and and collect money from these what, guys all week long. What channel was it on? Yeah. Uh, first, it started on UHF. Right, which is foreign to so any it was, kid he today. He was just a, a, a freak. Yeah, six, channel sixty-eight on UHF. Right, and then they moved him uh, to another channel. He come on right after the stock market report. Was it a real gig? At the first, it was his own thing, right? It was his own thing, and he, you know, how much older is he? He's like four years older than me. Yeah, and he and and he's a man out of time anyway. Right, so, I don't know him. You know, he he found uh, you know his friends were like in vaudeville. Mickey, really, Mickey Deems and Joey Fay and older guys. How do you and, know those guys? And he he went he pursued them the way yeah. I pursued old blues players. Right. Oh, really? He pursued old vaudeville comedians and worked with them. In uh, there was still some burlesque. He worked with Ann Corio and, and uh -huh. burlesque. And uh, and there was still some burlesque shows going, so he was in New York. In New York, and, and, he, and would he put him on the Uncle Floyd show? Uh, he would if he would find those guys. Yeah, but then the punks found him, mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it became hip. like hip. David <laughs> Bowie was showing up at the studio. Come on, know. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, and Johansson, the Dolls were there. Uh huh. Uh, you know, Johnny Thunders, all these cats, man. Cindy Lauper at the time. We're hanging uh, out at the Uncle Floyd's. And the studio? Ramones were the biggest fans. Of Uncle Floyd? Yeah, yeah. So I got turned on to that by him by accident because, you know, I was into soul music and, and all that stuff. You when know? you were how old, though, when, when he started? Well, see, I was, it was probably, uh, I was probably uh, 18 or 17. When he started doing 18 it? 18 when he started so doing it. So he was just it. this weird kid. Yeah, he was like 22, you know, <laughs> and, and already like an old man, though. <laughs> when we were kids, he uh, we had a dance team, yeah. you know, the, the three of us. Jerry? So, Jerry, me, and Floyd, that, that's it. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, so 
you know, we would uh, we had we we just tap dance and then play our instruments and right. then sing, yeah, and then do some comedy, you know. <laughs> and he would, <laughs> and he would insist, man. When when we were kids, I had this little tape recorder. We say, record coconuts, right? You know, and then learn this part, right? And then tonight. We're going to do it in my room. We're going to do this scene. You're you going to work it out? We're going to work out this scene. And yeah. he would put on these old records, 78s, and yeah. he had, because he used to clean out houses, old ladies' houses. So he was one of the, he was like, uh, he was into that, by, uh, an, an old, an empty, uh, an old era. He, yeah. was, he was that guy. He's a man out of time. A man out of time. So I'd have to learn, you know, Jerry got to learn Harpo's lines, which were none. And yeah. I had to learn all the, you know, yeah. Ravelli shit. And all yeah, that, you know. right. That's a nice. You oh, had to learn. <laughs> you were, and you he were, was always Groucho. You he were got, Chico. Yeah, and uh, and then he uh, he became friends with uh, Joe Franklin and Georgie Jessel and all these guys. Joe Franklin's know. another one of those guys, though. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it was like it took him a long time to get hip, but he yeah. beca- it was freak hip. You know, he's still alive, man. I was in uh, at uh, um, Patsy's on on fifty yeah. fifty sixth Street or wherever yeah. it is down there. And uh, you know, having a, a meet, business meeting with some guys, you know. Yeah. And Joe Franklin walks in, and it's like, you know, he just looks like like a dead man walking, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like he, like he's made up, like right. He could just go right to the coffin, man. Well, it's but, weird the Jersey thing, like you know, with uh, with your brother, but also like I, I don't remember who I was talking to, but there was that Channel Eleven man, yeah, you know, in oh, Jersey yeah. they played all the Stooges. The de- oh, I was talking to Leonard we Maltin grew about up it. with right. but with Joe Bolton and the Stooges and, and the Bowery Boys, yeah, and and, 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 and there was Captain, Little Rascals, Captain Jack with the Popeyes, the old Fleischer Popeyes, right, and they were all on that one channel. What yeah. was it? W- channel Eleven WPIX, yeah, and and. Uh, uh, it was it was a New York channel, and then there was uh, Chuck McCann was on there with Let's Have Fun. And Chuck yeah. McCann was a genius, and then Channel Five you had Sandy Becker and Uncle Fred Scott and these other guys. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and then they were kiddie shows for adults, really. right? And what was Soupy on? Soupy was I can't remember what channel. I would guess maybe five or Floyd came after. Oh, Floyd acknowledged that Soupy was his like one of his biggest, oh, really? biggest influences. <laughs> Soupy, and, Soupy, and Chuck McCann, you know, and and uh, to to the I don't know where the idea came into his head to do a kitty show with puppets and yeah, but that was for stoners, you yeah, know, really right for hip for for really what we called punks in those days. Sure, and those guys latched onto it and and started appearing. They would come and lip sync. You know their records Who? on the well. The Ramones were on the, Uncle uh, Floyd. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, all the Bowie. You know, uh, I was, you, who's got that footage? Is it on YouTube? Uh, you know, some of it may be, but you know how it was then. Tape over it. That's right. <laughs> we were doing a live show, and Bowie had John Lennon and somebody else, what Tony Visconti, with him, and right? They were, and they were sitting. <laughs> they were in the you know the bottom line. There was like two dressing rooms, one yeah. on either side of the stage. Who really was the band? Well, Your band. The band was me and my brother Jerry, and a couple guys from Jersey. Ed Alstrom. Which band keyboard. was that? It was the Vivino Brothers band. Okay. And so we were the band. And then, so we were all standing. We didn't get to go in the dressing rooms because Floyd had 20 other people. So he comes up to me and I'm talking to Oh, Tony it was a live Vis- Floyd show. Yeah, a live show and at the you, bottom. I'm you, talking to Visconti and Bowie and, right. and you know. And, and Lennon? And he's in there too, but he's like quiet and you don't bother him. You they know? came and, to see a live like, Floyd yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. And then Floyd says, Floyd comes out and says, uh, Jimmy, get these guys out of here. We got to do a show. I don't care who they are. And I'm like, oh my God. And they love it. Yeah. They're loving being kicked out. Because he's your brother. Like, everybody, kind of a nut. everybody kisses our ass. But yeah. this guy, yeah. he could care. <laughs> so they loved him even more. And Bowie, was he really like that or was that an act? He was really like that. And oh, he still is. Is he a little you know? Asperger-y or well, what? Well, no, no. Because if no, no, no. Because if if uh, if Mickey Deems was back there or Joey Faye yeah. or uh, one of those it. guys. He'd be like, welcome. Yeah. Myron yeah. Cole. 
Cohen was back there, <laughs> he'd be loving he'd it. He'd be saying, kissing their ass, you know? <laughs> but not David They had Bowie. no time for rock and roll, and they loved that he had no time for that. So he was a know? real kook. Bowie wrote a song even uh, about Floyd. Oh, know? really? And played it for me and my brother Jerry one time. He said, sit down, I want to play you something. And it's a line in the twinkle, twinkle, Uncle Floyd. And it's from, from about four albums back, you know, really? four or five albums back. And, uh, and he was so happy to play. He said, would you please show this to Floyd? I said... Sure, if he'll look at anything on videotape, you know. Oh, he doesn't... <laughs> well, you know, it's like... Is he still it, like this? 78s, you know? Everything's yeah. 78s. He's still so. like that. Oh, he's still like this, yeah. Do you but, guys get along? Oh, we get along great, you know? But, you know, like his friends, Jerry Vale, a guy that he worked with a lot, just passed away. You know? Jerry Vale, the singer? Yeah, the singer. And, and like, Pat Cooper was a buddy of his. He's you know? still around? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, and, you know, and they'll do, uh, they'll do shows together. Italian shows, you know, and just oh, really? going out. And then he did Italian radio for many years up in, in the Bronx. He spoke Italian? Yeah. You yeah. speak Italian? No, he learned. He learned. And you know why? So he could go up to Arthur Avenue and get free food <laughs> and say, you want me to... Again, again, it was like, you want me to talk about your show on the radio? He could walk yeah. home with a basket of food, you know? So how'd you guys all end up in show business? Was your father a show business guy? Because our father was probably the most talented trumpet player I ever heard but he was from a family of carpenters, so he wasn't allowed to do that. He came he, over here on a boat. You know, he was born in 1927 in Italy. Came over in like 1930, something right. like 30, 33. Yeah. He, uh, and he um, wasn't allowed to pursue music, though he did play. You know, I had an uncle that ran the Plaza Ballroom in Patterson, and he had a big band, and my father got to play in it. And, and all the family, but they were carpenters still, you know. And for my father to have three sons and, that, and, and, and abandon the fact that he should have had a construction empire with three more sons, right. the last thing he was going to do was force us into that. Right. So he, if we showed interest, he would, uh, you know, take us for lessons. If, if I wasn't ready for my lesson, I was a trumpet player. Yeah. Up until I was like 23, I, I switched the guitar. Really? I played trumpet and then organ. And, and, and the only gigs your dad ever did was with your uncle? No, no. He, he uh, yeah, he didn't do a lot of gigs. He did the gigs with the, uh, with the Frank Viv Orchestra, you know. Yeah. What and was his, uh, and what worked was his in style? the army. In the arm. Well, Louis Armstrong, uh, uh, let me see. He loved Louis Armstrong. Yeah. He, he loved uh, uh, Roy Eldridge, Bunny Berrigan, you know, all those. And uh, he could four, really do it? Oh, he could play. Oh, man, he could play. He was great, man, and he could sing good, too. But he wasn't allowed to do that. But so he worked as a carpenter. He was a carpenter. And he would take us on the job just so we would not want to do that. And this was him and his brothers? Well, him and his brothers, yeah, and and my grandfather, you know, and they built, like, all the Brielle estates in Point Pleasant when we lived down the shore. You know, they were... They built all these in the fifties. There were all these things going up. Man. Right, it's just like right. you know the big developments, and uh, so they worked down in uh, you know all the way from the Jersey Shore all the way up to Newark, all and, the way up to Patterson. And you grew up in Patterson. Yeah, yeah. Patterson's yeah. heavy. And there was a house. Yeah, well, Lou Costello's from Patterson. Right. So there's my brother right away. Was we I want to go... be like Lou Costello? You sure. Know? Right. So yeah. that was it. Yeah. Okay. So this stuff is close to my heart because my grandmother, my family's from Jersey, so my grandmother. They they lived in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Yeah, which was probably rural as hell when they were. I guess kind of. It's a little town. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite rural. I mean, Butler was a little rural. Verona, Butler, yeah, Pompton yeah. Lakes. Like my grandfather used to own a hardware store and an appliance store. He'd sell washing machines to the you know yeah. the, the Ru- hill people. Route twenty three yeah. was kind of new up there, going right. up that way. But she used to. I can't remember oh, what the, the, the people from Mawa, the Jackson Whites, the came Jackson down. Whites. She used, they he came used down, to sell yeah. them uh, washing machines. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a trip, man. And, there was uh, no 287 though connecting that mountain like there is now. I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah now was, then they came down the mountain really. You know, <laughs> I mean, really I, into I, into I, Lincoln Park. I you know, know my mother knew a Jackson White in where in, in, in Haskell is where his, his hardware store was. Yeah. And she had there was a guy that had a horse or a donkey. <laughs> He'd or come something. down for supplies. Right. Yeah, crazy, right? But New Jersey, I just, I'm trying to remember why the hell we went into Patterson. We saw uh, the Fabian Theater in Patterson. Yeah. We saw the Three Stooges live. You did? Yeah. How old are you? Uh, I'm now uh, 59 now. Yeah, actually. You look great. I was born in 55, right? Okay. So that makes me 59, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a musician. I don't. I don't grow. You know. Yeah. I don't, I'm no, done. But you but clearly <laughs> you didn't beat yourself up as much as some musicians. No, I, I did for a long time, and then I stopped, and then I'm back. You're so, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what. You beat it. Why not get back? Always on be it? always because of a girl, right? Uh-huh. Oh, we yeah. do things. We can get into that, but you know. Yeah. We we saw the Three Stooges. Anyway, the, the Three Stooges made a movie where they go to the moon. It was like Joe Dorita, you know, yeah. the later three. Yeah. And we went, we're all excited, and we're at, at the Fabian Theater. It's probably, I'm probably six. It's like 1961. Well, who brought you? Your father? I don't know who. My mother brought the three of us, yeah. and we're there with her, and I got an aisle seat, man. Yeah. And they're going to come down the aisle from the back of the theater and walk down the aisle up to the front. Right. And I'm waiting, the Three Stooges, man, these guys, God, the, the Three Stooges, live. they come down and they're like four foot three. Yeah. They're like little, they're old. Ru- little Russian guys yeah. from the Lower East Side, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that first letdown. Horowitz, huh? right? Maybe it's a Howard. But was, Howard, Howard. Oh, was, I wonder what his real name. It was are. something. Yeah, yeah, probably. But but anyway, Mo was just. I was just you know enamored. It yeah. was like you know. Was it great seeing them live? I mean, this, they must have been older men by then. Well, they were older men, but uh, this was before Mo got into the whole uh, fight with the Beatles about them stealing his haircut. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, the movie was horrible, but we loved it. And, yeah. And and I remember Larry too. So they was, were just doing a bit before the movie. Well, they came up. They came down the aisle. Everybody went crazy. The kids are going nuts. Yeah. They go up on stage and they got one guy with them. Who do you think they got with them? Uh, a sound effects guy. Oh, okay. Like a radio sound effects oh, guy. Oh, really? Yeah. With a timpani. Yeah. So when he would punch Curly, uh, uh, Joe, boom. Yeah. And they had a ratchet. <laughs> if he pulled Larry's hair, <laughs> and he had a, a, a go-go thing. The one, boy, if he yeah, went yeah, hit yeah. him in the yeah, eyes, yeah, you know? Yeah. He would hit him, you know, and, and, and they did like 15 minutes oh, they, of amazing. their vaudeville bit. That's you know? amazing. And every the kids went nuts, man. And then we went to see Bozo uh, no, uh, later on. And he was a dud because yeah. we said, <laughs> "Can't follow the this Stooges. is you can't follow the Stooges." And anybody can be Bozo. It's a clown costume, <laughs> right? Right. We don't know that we're getting the real guy. You know, we're not going to get Larry Harmon. Yeah. Who years later I met and he sent me a picture yeah. of himself. And the I original asked him, Bozo. Yeah, yeah. Diver Dan, I met later. You know, these guys I watched on TV, like uh, they they they're weird. working like in you know regular jobs. And it's now. always a weird. It can go either way when you meet the guys that you love when you were a kid oh yeah well the same with chuck berry uh, you know but i i didn't i met him briefly you forget i i pretty much wake up every day and forgive chuck berry you do yeah because i hear the music and i say that's all he invented it yeah he invented for a it. while i thought maybe i've every time i've met him it's just been a bad day every time he's just a dick <laughs> Why is he a dick well he was treated badly mm-hmm. you know for he years was, he was treated badly they put the man act on him they, they did everything they could to put this guy in jail because all the white girls loved him. Right. It was like, get rid of this guy. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he was he was pretty 
you know, I, I mean, he was happening. Everybody loved Chuck. Man. Yeah. Stuff. And he was Everybody's, a poet, you know. You know his, he, his songwriting, dude, like, you know, I was There's not a more prolific writer. But uh, there's not yeah. a better, like, rock songwriter. Because no. if you listen to, like, You Can't Catch Me oh. or something like that, where, uh, it, like, I was listening to Dylan recently. I'm like, there's no Dylan without Chuck Berry. No, know, there like, isn't. Because if you, the, the listing thing, the Maybelline, you know, was, right. was redone by Bob a lot. You was know? it? Bob, oh, yeah. was Bob really, you know. He was on top of it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, there's a. Uh, well, well, Monkey Business is perfect that's idea. A, that's that's a Dylan. That's a Dylan song. Yeah. Well, too yeah. much. Yeah. It's subterranean homesick blues. It is. Yeah, it is. No, right. it is. It is. I, like I, like I didn't. I realized that later in well, life. It's totally. It was, it was definitely monkey business. Yeah, yeah. Monkey business is subterranean, but. Bob was smarter than the Beach Boys. They just got <laughs> nailed for surfing USA. I mean, it's the exact Chuck. You know, it's I know, exactly. but it was. It's not even one of his great lyrical, you know, oddities. Like you know, like um, can't catch me and too much monkey business. Yeah, and well, Maybelline too. Like the Beach Boys did the easy no. ones. Yeah, yeah, but brown eyed handsome man. The great. lyrics in that. I love Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly's cover of that. Yeah, great. Oh yeah, and and Chuck's. Uh, you know, well, well, yeah, he's salty and stuff. You know, but I met him a lot through John, when I worked with Johnny Johnson, his piano player. Yeah, you know, for for a good ten years, uh, we would encounter Chuck now and then, and Johnny could put him in line because Johnny was well, the he, one he guy stole he, it from Johnny. He was afraid of Johnny. Johnny invented that that open. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And that's why Chuck would only play in those fucking piano keys because yeah, Johnny you know, was the guy. But you know what? It's still the songwriting is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one thing to say music because music was a communal thing and everybody was playing everybody's right. stuff. But when you get into Chuck's melody and lyrics, those are clearly his, you know? And it's and hard to got, patent the blues, man. No, know? yeah, absolutely. But he's also got this weird thing that I didn't really realize until I, I watched Keith and I listened to him talk to Keith, that he's got a bounce. That's not easy to do. You know, there's some mythology involved with all this. Nobody knows. You know, when you play well, you with know, Keith... You know well, the ones you play well, on. Well, when I play with Keith Richard one, two times that yeah. I did, you know, Where, it's when was there. That for? Well, we were at the uh, Manny... Not uh, Manny's, the Chicago Blues yeah. on, on 12th Street, which yeah. is where Greenwich runs right into uh, Hudson. What, what year was this? Oh, I'm going to guess 94, 5, uh -huh. you know? And uh, But he was just hanging out? I was playing with Johnny, and we walked in with Johnny Johnson, and I walked in, and I look over to the side, of, sitting there with a, you know, drink, orange juice and, and vodka, is Keith Richard. Yeah. And he's there. He's like, hey, mate, I'm here to play with Johnny, right? I said, oh, oh fucking yeah, you are. That's great. He went downstairs, <laughs> came downstairs. I gave, I had a 350, like yeah. like Chuck's. Yeah. I'd let him play. He picked that. I had a, a 50 Strat, and he said, well, I'm not going to play that when you have that Chuck guitar there. Right, and he right. played the Chuck Berry 350 all night, took his shirt off. You yeah. Know, just played. Did he nail it? Oh, he was great. Yeah. Oh, it was. So, I had never been in that car before. Yeah. You know, and with him driving, like? you're you're done, man. It's like standing next to BB King or anybody else. Heavy. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He it, drives. Like, he drives the band. He does. The band has to be. You can't not. You can't ignore the groove coming. Out. It's all there. He doesn't really. You know. I think he hooks up with Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. You right. Know? And uh, he demands. Uh, he demands you, your attention, uh -huh. you know, and uh, but like when you say that, because you're like you know by nature, or not not by nature, but by occupation, you know, outside of uh, 
you know, what you're doing now, you're a band leader now, and you're always sort of a secret band leader, yeah. but you're a back, backup guy. Well, yeah, and I tell you, though, when well, the thing, the, the secret about two guitars, of course, yeah. is somebody's going to be taking the wheel, and that's going to be Keith in this case, and then you're going to find the other part. You're not going to play his stuff. Because you play can't. This, well, no, it's just not good music. You know? I know, but it's weird because Keith is... is Keith is, has a thing, he talks about the weaving of two guitars in his right. book. And he, he talks right, about I know. And, and it either I, works or it doesn't work but you knew that going in i didn't i didn't the book wasn't written yet but i knew from you gotta follow situations him. you gotta find your holes that you there's another part and it's he, not the part he's playing but he'll know? leave it open i mean oh, there's it's there there's it's plenty there. of space there it's there when you find it you get a smile from him <laughs> if you don't find it he'll come right up in your face really you know well so, guys will attack you man jack bruce i played with jack bruce one day yeah right and he just comes up like he wants to have a knife fight with you, you know? It's so weird because as a <laughs> listener, unless you're very astute, you're not really going to pick up just how on top of it these guys are. See, that's the weird mythology of the fan versus the musician is that you can listen to Keith all day and think like, well, that, you know, it's it's a little messy and it's it's oddly, you know, he's got, he picks makes odd timing choices, but he's completely on top of it. Yeah, I mean, just listen to Can't You Hear Me Knock and you're done, man. So when did you start playing? When did you drop the trumpet and why? <laughs> is there really a why <laughs> no 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 but i mean it's well, like i played trumpet it, you was know, it limiting i mean did you did well, you not feel you could push yourself through the trumpet my like dad my father played trumpet i right. always wanted to because right. i and I could, I could never be as good as him yeah. on the horn or my brother jerry on the sax who, could who just, plays in conan's who band just, yeah, with you yeah who's just a genius player who do could you guys just, get along Oh, yeah, we get along, but he never takes the horn out of his mouth. Right. I mean, he's practicing 24 hours a day, trying to still hone his craft. You really? Know? And, uh, and, and I was always like, okay, let me get this. I learned trumpet, and then I learned to arrange for a big band. By the time I was like 14 or 15 and 7th grade. You could grade, write music. 7th grade, I was arranging for the big band in, in, in high school. Really? You know? Yeah. So I was So writing... that was your thing. You could, you oh, could, yeah. I but liked... you could break it down. You could take a piece of yeah. uh, Stan Kelton music yeah, or Stan something. Yeah, Stan Kenton and, and Buddy Stan Rich Kenton. and stuff. And, yeah. I, and I started like reading Downbeat, and there would be transcriptions in the back. Looking. When'd and... you, how'd you learn how to read music? Uh, from trumpet. Yeah. But then uh, one of my teachers gave me uh, the Walter Piston book. About the uh -huh. uh, orchestration uh -huh. and uh, you know and about practical ranges of instruments and I read the book front to cover like ten times. You were fascinated with the whole. I kit, was fascinated. The whole thing. I couldn't do math for shit. Right. But this, which was math, and I wasn't connecting that it was math. Right. Was was beautiful in front of a piano. I could figure out chord voicings and stuff, and and you know and started transcribing things, uh -huh. records, Zappa uh -huh. records, you know, B beef heart records. So you're 15. You figure out how to write the music. You're going to see all these rock bands. Yeah. And then and then I got an organ i got i said shit man what I could, a, organ players m4 whatever. no no my friend had a vox supercontinental was that what and, they were called the m4 uh, uh, no no i had an m3 i got an m3, m3 eventually m3, which yeah. is what what booker, booker t, t played, played yeah only on green onions but still that was before the b so first i got a, a farfisa you know a combo yeah. compact from sure. my my uncle's son didn't want to play anymore he yeah. was going to become an electrician join the family business <laughs> yeah so we all tried so i got that farfisa and then i you know was started playing organ right and then got hooked on al cooper and all that you know and, and Felix cavalier and steve from blood sweat and tears yeah al this is like my best friend in the world now you know is but, he all right yeah he's great and and felix is another good friend of mine from the rascals and then there was winwood who those three guys were those my are your guys? favorite guys you yeah know? So he uh, goes Winwood from, and all three from a, uh, their vocal standpoint too. I love the way they all sang. Different. Um, so then I started playing organ in bands, 
and then got the what M3. Bands? Uh, just local, you know, just little bands with my brother. I always had horns because I'd be writing for the horns. Yeah. You know, and we always had... Uh, with Jerry. With Jerry, yeah. And Floyd's off doing his No, thing. he's off like somewhere playing <laughs> honky-tonk piano up in the Catskills or something. <laughs> yeah. And they're playing in the Jewish mountains, right? <laughs> he's up there playing in, uh, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, and... Uh, and uh, so we're just playing rock. We're playing like rock and roll and soul around, right. you know. Around Jersey? Yeah, around Jersey. Up and down the coast you could play. You know, we're opening for, it's like uh, 74, five, you know, we're opening for bands like Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes are coming in from Philly. And uh-huh. Before they're famous, you know, we, we worked, uh, we used to sit for six months at a time in Paquonic on Route 23. Right. Up there where you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Your people are from. And uh, so we were the house band. So Chubby Checker, the Platters. And you just back They'd them? all come through and we'd back them all up. You know, and Fred Paris and the Five Satins, I got to know all these guys, doo-wop guys. And they'd come in with arrangements and just well, lay them you on know, you? sometimes just a guitar player saying, here's how it goes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And, it. and how dare you not know these songs, how, you know? How, how, if you can't get through the twist. And I'm playing, <laughs> wait, but I'm playing organ and bass at the same time now, you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah. I have to know the songs. Right. But uh, that and after, that was back when they still had supper clubs around, yeah, right? Yeah, the big rooms. Oh that were yeah, built yeah. For big bands. Yeah. So then was, we then I decided at one point after you know after maybe uh, four years of doing that, I said, oh man, I'm like 23 now. I I want to play guitar. I always had a guitar, and I would, yeah. So I stopped gigging and just went back to work doing carpentry, spackling, sheetrocking, yeah. you know, practicing guitar. Okay. And then got with a show band. This was the best. Andre and Sorrell. Okay, everywhere around Jersey, there's a band that's like Martin and Lewis. Right. A comedian and a singer. Right. Handsome singer, funny looking comedian. Yeah. So, and, and we're playing the, the, you know, the lounges in Jersey. Right. You know, the Goomba lounges, yeah. really. And coming in after us, or the week before, is Joe Pesci and Frankie Vincent and their band. Yeah. You know, Joe Pesci was a guitar player. Really? Yeah. And Frank Vincent, I think, was the drummer. That's the guy he kills in every movie. No, I know. They're yeah. great. They're good, <laughs> yeah. but they were a comedy team. They're a comedy team. They were like a martin and lewis you know handsome guy funny guy that was the way it worked yeah and we were we had andre and sorrell and these guys were all friends and you were just backing them so i lost myself in a show band for like a year playing guitar just backing those just two? backing up whoever whoever whatever we did you know and and uh still learn to play guitar because i'd practice all day long we'd be on the road in west virginia for three weeks what you know? were you practicing what'd you use to practice then what were you trying to figure uh, out i was just really um everything i could get my hands on every every cassette i had with me you know a so lot of times just, it was charlie christian uh and at the same time uh a jeff beck group you know t-bone same, walker t-bone walker heavy yeah. muddy waters uh and i fell in love with uh um um Guitar Slim, who was a guy down in in, in New Orleans, yeah. you know things I used to do. No Freddie or Albert yet. Uh, F- Freddie was essential. Yeah, Albert was Albert. You know, Albert was what Hendrix was coming from. You know, you could hear all that bending and stuff. Buddy Guy. Yeah, well, Buddy too. Yeah, but something about Freddie, those records. Uh, you know, Freddie King sings the instrumentals. Yeah, and Freddie King plays. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Freddie King plays and sings. Hideaway, <laughs> Hideaway. Yeah, Dance Away. That right. Hideaway Dance Away album. Yeah, and then Freddie King sings. Yeah. Where he does the Bobby Bland thing, yes, you know he got it Bobby little, Bland. It's interesting that the transition from those records into the Leon Russell produced things, yeah, on which Shelter, are, aren't my they're favorites. Not, they're not very good. No, those those King records are the shit, man. right? And then there was a TV Same with show. The, the James Brown King records yeah. are great. Yeah, there was a TV show called The Beat. Yeah. If you can find it, you can look online mm-hmm. and 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 just do Freddie King The Beat and watch what comes up. 
and you'll be astounded at the great how great they shot him playing. You can learn so much from really. That. Though, if you have the beat, like the, the the whole box set of the beat, or just watch them online, you'll be a better but guitar I, player. I, I, I'm just like I don't have a knack to pick up shit. You know, like, you'll show me shit if I go to Conan. You'll yeah, show me yeah, a couple Yeah, that's all we do. That's really why you come. Uh, yeah, just so I can play your guitars and you can show me two things. Yeah. Because, like, if you show me a good thing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to figure, you know, I'm just going to play that over and over but again. But you'll so always I... do something that I say, shit, that's cool. No, come I on. I wouldn't do that. Listen, your vibrato's <laughs> better than mine, man. <laughs> oh, come so, on. So, you know, that's... That's good. It must be from the girls. Man. I, I, I don't, don't know. You know. I don't know. You know, either it's you got a finger. But yeah, but either you got to feel or you don't. You no, know, what you I mean? can. Either you guys do that or they don't. Yeah, you because know, Brendan Small came in here and I was doing blue shit, and he's like, "You got the vibrato." I'm like, "Is that a hard thing?" Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah. I, I didn't know that was something. But then I paid attention to it. And there's some footage I watched of Eric Clapton showing the difference between saw... what his sad vibrato and then his rock vibrato. Oh, you know he... that that great that great Spinal Tap one from right. the. Where he talks about the woman tone and the wah right, that's right. Yeah, that was it's it. It's very cool, though. It's very Spinal Tap, though. Yeah, right? it, well, yeah, if you want to mock it, but like he seemed to believe it. And no, I, I he think... did believe He was right. It, look, there's nobody uh, who has more right to play the blues than Eric Clapton. No, that's right, but like he was yeah. never really my guy. Like After John Mayall, maybe two Cream songs, yeah. I, was, it was, I was done. Well, he got so down on himself, but you know- He that, got insecure? Yeah, I don't know. He, got, he, he didn't want to believe what people were saying about him. Right, it's a, but it, it was, was a heavy, true. Nobody heavy was burden, better. man. Nobody was better. He was he was spooked by Hendrix, you know. Everybody and, and, was, yeah. But really, Eric had something totally. It's different. weird. All those Brits they got spooked by Hendrix and got spooked by the band. Yeah, like well, Hendrix, that, like well, the Clapton. band broke up more bands. You know, <laughs> it, it was weird because they Clapton... stopped the British blues dead in its track. It, why? Yeah. The Beatles, even you yeah. know, you hear the Beatles, uh, you know, trying to do uh, "All Things Must Pass" during the "Let It Be" sessions. There's some bootlegs. That was post band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to be the band. Yeah, you know, what uh, was it about the band that made you, them so crazy? Pete Town, uh, Pete Townsend too. Pete yeah. Townsend's demo, it's on the Lighthouse uh, box, of Won't Get Fooled Again, is shameless. Levon Helm, he's playing drums too, and and uh, you know he took it to the to the Who apparently and said, I want you to play it like this, and and Keith was like. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. But what was it about the band that everybody was so jealous of? Well, well, the fact that, A, they were Dylan's guys. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and, <laughs> and B, nobody had ever played any music like that as a band before. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. It's Yes, it's rooted in, in everything gospel and George Jones uh-huh. and, and Ray Charles. It's like pure American music. Yeah, yeah is what it's it... all American. It was nothing, there was nothing English about it. And no one and ever heard that And it wasn't really the blues. No. You know? No. Except that Richard was the blues. Right. Was singing, you know? Yeah. But it was the gospel aspect of piano and organ. Just think, at the same time, the piano and the organ. Yeah. Uh, Procol Harum had that sound, but it right. didn't sound like that. Right. You know, it wasn't like at a church. Well, somehow or another, Garth was able to capture an Americana. Garth, like, of, Garth uh, is a carnival. Right. Exactly. He's a carnival. And, 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 and to integrate that into, into, into rock music, I don't think yeah. anybody yeah. ever really Garth played organ in his, uh, in his uncle's uh, you know, funeral home. I think that was it. The weird mix you know? of all those guys and yeah. where they came from and what was important to them. Because yeah. I fucking... Like all of them singing outside of Robbie and or Garth, but like Richard, Rick, yeah. and Levon, it's like you can't beat those fucking. Voices. Yeah, where do you get? Only the Beatles had three lead singers. Yeah, and and it worked for the Beatles. Right, but even then, I think that 
that mostly Paul and George were impressed with, with the band. John wasn't impressed. You know, John was, nothing was bigger than the Beatles to John, never, right. ever would be. Even John. You know, even John. You right. know, I mean, he admittedly was like, you know, that, you know, that what he is wouldn't pretty, be impressed by anything. It's pretty astounding. Even Dylan, he outdid Dylan in a lot of ways. He took Dylan's thing, like, you know, almost stole, uh, uh, Norwegian Wood is almost, is Bob Dylan's one of the dream songs. Yeah. Almost, you know, almost note for note, but. Yeah. Bob wouldn't say anything about that. Right. You know, right. because Bob got it from Woody and, and right. wouldn't want to open that door. Yeah, Bob you know? got it from, <laughs> from Woody and Ramblin' Jack. Yeah, well, right, right. You don't want to open that door. There's a certain amount of uh of uh you know communal sharing. Sure. That's that's well, allowed. I mean, but it's also like, you know, people have to try on, you know, they have to sort of appropriate the drive of somebody else in sure. order to get to where they're going. Yeah, yeah. And even the Beatles got that from you know from, well, they got it first of all, the from Everly Elvis Brothers. and Little Richard and the yeah. Everly brothers. Yeah. Sorry, so you're playing behind comedian, comedy yeah, teams. Yeah, right. So then, and and then I'm, uh, I'm just playing guitar now. Yeah. And then I, I, at one point, I said, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get to New York. You know, I gotta get. To, I'm in gotta Jersey. Gotta get out of Jersey. I'm working. I'm working like crazy. I'm making money as a musician. Yeah. But I'm not getting anywhere. You know, and uh, and um, I go and I start hanging out at JP's. You know, up in seventies. 8th Street, wherever it is up there on 1st Avenue. What was that? Everybody's hanging out there. Harry Nilsson's there. You know, uh, Dave oh, Mason's there. Yeah. We're all misbehaving. Kennedy Juniors are up there. You know, everybody's- Doing the schniz. Everybody's hanging out. We go yeah. in the basement. You yeah. know, a, a guy, you know- comes down yeah, we, 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 we drink all night we get yeah. leave at five in the morning with our spring our sunglasses with us yeah when we start drinking you know right and started meeting people and i and uh and i, I met a band there uh that was backing up kitty bruce lenny's daughter at the mm -hmm. time what was she doing and she was singing uh-huh uh and then al cooper came in and he was going to grab that band i was playing with that band and who else was in it uh nobody you would know nobody you would know all jersey guys yeah so. and we would come in and I uh, and Al says, "I sorry, I can't use you, man, because you do the same thing I do. You play or or organ and guitar." Yeah. So, so, so this is Al Cooper. So at that time, so we became Blood, Sweat, friends. and Tears is done. Yeah, and, and he's done some solo touring, and and he's produced Leonard Skinner by now, and so he's, he's and produced the two. Got some and, bread. Yeah, he's done some stuff. He's moving around. He was in Atlanta for a while. He was in L.A. All right, and so you meet saying, Al Cooper. So I meet Al Cooper, and I and and I couldn't work with him, but at the same time. We hooked up with Phoebe Snow, so I was working with Phoebe because Al wasn't in that situation. So they were sharing a band, kind of Phoebe yeah. and Phoebe and Al. Phoebe was like a big influence. She taught me to play acoustic blues. You know, she really learned really? from Bromberg. Yeah, her and Bromberg. He's were another friends. guy I never got. Yeah, well, it was great at sitting down. You know, Bromberg and and uh, you know was just great at sitting down and playing porch blues, acoustic yeah. blues. You I know, gotta fucking revisit that Stephon shit. Stefan Grossman, those guys, yeah. you know, Stephen Bishop, they were all around. Stephen Bishop? Yeah, you know, they were all around at the same time. They were all folk singers and, and blues, folk, folk and blues. Yeah. You know, and I and so then I started working with Phoebe. Uh, it's weird. And then I had to stop and started working with Al, too. Because Al said, put a band together for me, and I did. And we would, and Al so, would take the front, and he would sing yeah, and play piano? Yeah, he'd sing and play piano. And what was it, mostly Blood, Sweat, and Tears stuff? Or? All of his stuff. Yeah. Just a, just a big catalog of stuff. And then at the same time, I'm uh, working at the bottom line with my brother Floyd doing live shows. Yeah. And Alan Pepper, who owns the bottom line, says, I got this idea to do a show. I see you come in here, you organize things, you put bands together. I want to do a show with Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry their music and I want to uh, you know bring you together with Paul Schaefer who was maybe now two years into into the Letterman show out of Saturday Night Live is he a wizard 
He's great. Yeah. He's my mentor. He's the Paul. guy that yeah that nobody knows what a great musician he is. He obviously you know they is. know the character. Well, yeah, but, he became one. You know, but... you know, th- there was a guy, uh, you know, um, called named Oscar Levant. Yeah, yeah, the piano player who was a brilliant piano player. But yeah. more people knew him as a as a, as a sort of an a, actor, an eccentric yeah. a comedian. But he was still a Ben Stiller trying piano. was going to do a movie yeah, about him. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, man. he's great to watch. You know, and Jose Iturbi was another one. Yeah, he's brilliant players. Yeah, but they also and and Liberace they had these personalities. Right, Paul's like a combination of those three guys. You know, and Jerry Lee Lewis, great ear, so, right? Yeah, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, the way the flamboyant sure. thing. You know, and Elton John a bit, but. But he can do all of those. That's just what makes great, him different. Just a great, like he can interpret anything. He taught me about how to listen to records from the bottom up. Like what know? does that mean? Well, how how to find out what makes a record. Right. The rhythm section. You start with the bass and drums. And you get that right, you can build on that. But right. you can't arrange a record from the top with the right. strings and horns. Yeah. None of that's important. Yeah. He says all that window dressing is fine and he knew that I could do that. Yeah. So he was going to help me doing the rhythm arrangements for this show with Darlene Love and all these great people that ran called Leader of the Pack at the right. bottom line. So that got me and me and Paul became great friends and still are since then. We just record heads, you know. Yeah. And quotes, you know, and and just he introduced me to Phil Spector and just all what these was that great. Like? It was the bizarre, a bizarre evening. What happened? Well, where you know, were you? That we were in. We we went to uh, P J Clark's. Uh-huh. I guess it's called right, something like that. Uh-huh. A steakhouse. Yeah. Where that's where we're, we're out here. We're, no, no, in in New York. Yeah. He says uh, he calls me up. He says Phil's in town. Uh, you should come. <laughs> so I said, all right. And I, co- I go to see Phil and Paul, and I meet with Paul, and Paul's there. That's the funniest story. Paul had two friends. He had, had done uh, Viva Shake Vegas, you know, mm-hmm. his show in Vegas. So he knew some dancers from Vegas that were in town, and, and two of those girls were at the table, and me and Paul. So it was four of us at the table waiting for Phil to show up. It was friendly, totally. It wasn't anything, you know. Yeah. There was nothing about it, but just from... So Phil comes, and he's got... Two big bodyguards with him, right? Yeah. And Phil. And he he's looks, a little guy. He's a little guy, and he looks, and he looks, and he gives you the fish handshake, you know? Yeah. And he looks around. He looks at me and Paul, and he looks at the two girls, and he whispers to one of the big guys. The guy runs out to make a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Within 20 minutes, two hookers show up for Phil. Because yeah. <laughs> he's like, you have girls, now I have girls. Yeah. You know? Really interesting, <laughs> and it was funny as hell, man. Yeah, and, and so we had stakes, and then uh, it was going to continue, and it was getting a little drunky and yeah. and a little bit passive aggressive with Phil. Yeah, so I, I went home. Yeah, because I had heard some other stories about going out, and I didn't want to be in, in that. You want to be in you the crossfire of some weird. I shit? was just impressed to be in his presence. Did he and talk this music before, at all? Uh, yeah, we did about the Blind Boys of Alabama, about some you know uh, gospel groups, and just he loved all that stuff. And uh-huh. We don't you, you don't you don't talk to people about their music, right? You know, if I if I'm with Jimmy Page or something or, 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 or Robert Plant's in the room, we talk about Howlin' Wolf. We have a common ground. Yeah. If you talk about someone's music to them, the wall immediately goes up. Uh huh. You know, you are all of a sudden you're a fan. You can't right. be a fan to people. Not if you're a musician. You know, no, no, no. And even with comedy, I mean, if you're, you know, you don't. If you were hanging out with Steve Martin, would you talk about his bits? Hey, remember you did that bit? You know, it depends. You know, I mean, because like, I do that with you. I yeah. mean, like, you know, you're gonna show me that riff. You know I ain't I mean? Steve Martin. Though. No, no, but <laughs> but no, but still, like, I'm, but, but then again, I'm not a musician, so I'm allowed to be a music fan. Yeah. So like, when I talk to musicians in here. 
well, if I talk to Booker T, I'm going to talk to him for two hours about his music. Yeah. And it's going to be okay because- Well, I, I mean, I can talk to you about Mitch Hedberg. Right, know? sure. I can uh, in the underground world. Well, of, but see, but comedy's yeah. different. It's like there's no history behind a joke, but a piece of produced music, you know, some of those things got the biggest stories in the world. Well, yeah, that's true. But there's always the Milton Berle thing about who did he steal from and, you know- No, but, I, but, but yeah. still, like, if I talk to John Cale, I'm like, what about those Stooges records? He's like, well, he, he said to me, he said, they were, they were all set. Like yeah, he, yeah, he, he yeah. took that gig just because no one else wanted to do it in a way. Yeah, they were ready to go. Yeah, it just was, turned the machine on. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, that, that astounded me. Yeah. Because you know, I thought, like, what does a producer bring to this? Well, with them, not much. Well, I had a conversation uh, with, with Ringo Starr. Yeah. And here's what I said to Ringo Starr. Because I said, what did it feel like to, uh, what did it feel like to be in the biggest band in England, and then take a step down and join the Beatles. <laughs> you know? Because that's the truth. What Rory Storm and the Hurricanes yeah. were the biggest band yeah. in England. They were like wild, crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah. He says, well, the Beatles paid me more money. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was fun. It's fun to not, you know, it, you know, you, you want to push Keep that cool. button. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to push that, that fan button uh, with anybody, really. Uh, you know, your wall goes up, you know. Sure, sure. And, 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 uh, and, and you want to, uh, you can't know somebody, uh, you know, you find common ground. So you, you know, and Al Cooper, like so you me and Al in. Cooper, we, we locked in, and and we still love each other. And then, how, and then after that, I um, how long were you with him though? Oh, I'm still with him. I just did his 70th birthday in New York. We did three nights, two nights in, at BB uh, Kings, and one in all. But you spent, you but didn't you spend a lot of time, you know, just working with him almost exclusively? Mm, never, never, no? never. And then, so I was doing Phoebe and him, and then and then uh, I stopped doing both to do the Broadway show. Which went from the bottom line to Broadway, yeah, and that put like a halt on things. And you were arranging it, as yeah, well? yeah, conducting arranging. But then I wasn't really into that. And once the show stopped, yeah, I uh, I went back to playing. I played with a band called Reckless Sleepers with Jules Shear, Steve Holly, and uh, we were on, we recorded on IRS Records. You know, uh, we made one album. Uh-huh. And at that time, but you I, had no dream of 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 being a pop music no, act. No, and then um, my friend, then I then I went out with. Um, to work on a TV show out here. So you always consider yourself a, a like a studio musician, a working musician. A working musician, a that's all I ever wanted to be was, was, was Tommy Tedesco, you know? That's all I ever wanted to be. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm I'm doing that. I'm doing a lot of stu- different stuff. And what I, TV show did you do out here? Uh, out here, I came to do two, two um, pilots for a show... Uh, a show called uh, Deja View. Uh-huh. And the idea was John Sebastian was going to be the host. So I met John Sebastian. Felix Cavallari was there. NRBQ was there. And Ronnie Spector and Peter Noon, I was there. Yeah. You know, MDing for most of the bands. Yeah. And then playing with NRBQ with Felix and John. Right. And uh, and that's when I met John. And um, and we became like just great friends again. You know, we started a jug band together. We did. We just kept working together. Through all these people, I met Laura Nero. Then through Felix and John and started working with Laura and produced a record with her and was on the road yeah. for like three years with her. And then the Conan gig came in 93 because somewhere in that, you know, I had worked with Max on a uh, something called Killer Joe, a project. After the E Street Band got fired, so he just he brought you in as a, as a he brought me in as a guitar player, and uh, my brother was in the band, and the guitar player wasn't happening. He said, "Call my brother," 
Yeah. So Max called me, and then we got along great. You, know, you and we, Max did? Yeah, we, we, we worked great in that band together. And then How's he I at was, arranging? Well, he's a great drummer. <laughs> right. Did you do most of the so, arranging? Well, I was always the arranger. That was never uh, that was never hidden, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was always my job. And um, and so I was at this point playing with Clarence and living in, uh, you know, in 92. Clarence Clemens? Clarence Clemens. I had a band with Clarence living in um, at his house in Sausalito when Max called me and said, I got, I got an audition and we got to put the band back together because I told him we have a band. So you got to come home, but don't tell Clarence because you know, yeah, right, he'll right. get the, all he has to do is call and he has the gig. Right. He, he has such, was such a dynamic personality. Yeah, yeah. What so were you we, doing with him? Which is just the Clarence Clemens band, you know? Yeah, it was you? Yeah, I was in, in, after, though, after the hits, you know? Yeah. Just like, we we're just getting it together. And right. then I left and I came home here to New York. I left because I had worked on Sister Act 1 and 2 in, in, uh, with Whoopi. Yeah. And, uh, and Mark Shaman, my friend, and did a lot of movie work with him out here. And I was going to move out here. Working in, working in movies was, seemed fine. In TV, and I had done a soul session with James Brown for Cinemax. And legendary ladies of rock and roll. So I was working on TV, and uh, he played with all these guys and movies. Yeah, with it, Wilson Pickett, and you know, did you? We had Pickett and James Brown and Aretha and Joe Cocker oh and Robert God. Palmer all on one show, and Billy Vera and uh, and um, Pickett. We had to record the night before, yeah, because we get to Detroit. We had to go to Detroit because um, because uh, my friend Joel Gallen, who managed Felix Cavalieri when I worked with Felix. Then got with Sid Vintage, who was a, a, a video producer out here, and started doing these things. And then he, then he sort of spearheaded the unplugged thing later for MTV, Joel, and did really well with that. But meanwhile, he's just starting out, and he says, he calls me up, he says, Jimmy, remember when you told me if I ever work with James Brown that you would carry guitars? <laughs> well, I need you to come in and do arrangements for this show. I said, and he said, and I'll carry your guitar and I'll, I'll give you 500 bucks. <laughs> and I said, all right, get me to Detroit. Uh, so I had to do charts and I had to teach James Brown's band. This is great to play all this music, other people's music. James Brown's band really, they don't really read, you know, right. the horn players could read some. Right. So I wrote horn charts. I had charts and I, now I had to take them through. You know, and they learned really fast, man. They were really, and I had both drummers going. You know, it was great. I had to do it. And then James, I turn around and somebody taps me on the shoulders. Uh, Mr. Brown wants to speak to you. <laughs> so I go down there and there he is. He's dressed like he's got a scarf, a green jumpsuit on, uh -huh. you know. His hair is quaffed, his sunglasses on, you know. Yeah. And uh, he says, I, I got to lean into him, right? Yeah. How come you got two drummers playing? Two, two drummers don't play at the same time. <laughs> I said, oh, I didn't know that, Mr. Brown. Yeah. Said, he says, well, I'll let it go, but not in my band, not with my music. Because <laughs> he, he said, it sounds good. <laughs> so, and they were playing Addicted to Love, and it was killing me. Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. with Robert Palmer, and all these guys are going nuts that they get to sing with James Brown's band. Right. James Brown, I'm not sure if he likes the idea yeah. of his band backing other people up. Right. You know? Yeah. And this is a secret process that only he gets to do with them. Right, you know? right, right. And then uh, the best was, so Joe Cocker comes and uh, he says, meet me uh, the day before. I got to figure out what key, Joe, you know, you're going to sing When a Man Loves a Woman. So we, he goes, well, meet me in the bar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we had to get some heavy drinking boots on, you know. Yeah. And then we got, there was a piano in the bar. We got around to the piano like three in the morning. 
I'm playing, well, I'm man. He goes, higher. Well, I'm man. He goes, higher. I said, how are you going to know when it's the right key? He says, when it hurts. Yeah. I'll know I'm in the right key. <laughs> really? And then he's doing it, and he killed it, man. Yeah. He was really sweet. I <laughs> loved him, man. Man, yeah. could that guy sing. Right. And, and and Billy Vera, I don't even remember him. Yeah. He was was there to sing out of sight, you know, and he was thrilled. He's such a such a music you know, not such a musicologist. Yeah. I mean, he's like a professor about this shit, man. So when did you like, uh, so like all this time you're doing arrangements on records as well? Yeah, whatever, you know, whatever I could, whatever I can, uh, whatever work. It seemed like you never stopped working. Yeah, all I wanted to do was work. I didn't want to ever be an artist. Right. You know, uh, I, I didn't. But when did you start tracking down these old blues guys? Well, that that happened through uh, the Lone Star Cafe back then. I used to work there, and in the eighties, in the eighties, and like I would back up Benny King, you know. Yeah, and uh, and um, I saw Bo Diddley there almost. Yeah, I backed up Bo, and I played organ with Bo at yeah. the time a while back, you yeah. know. And um, and then uh, you know, I was uh, would work with. Um, Mike Merritt came in. He was working with Johnny Copeland at the time. Uh-huh. He was playing bass with me still. Mike and James Wormworth was the drummer. And they had a tour coming with Johnny Johnson. So I started working in that band. And that was the real learning point of the blues. Even though I had seen Muddy when I was a kid and he would let me up on stage and might play with Pine Top, you know. You did? I'd, I'd, I'd plow, play, play those guys with alcohol, you know. What are you drinking? Where was that at? Uh, Open like the show place in Dover, you oh, know, okay. New Jersey. My friend was their road manager. Okay, you know that I went to high school. So with. So you played and, with Muddy. Well, only piano. You yeah. know, some piano. Yeah. You know, but I the presence of him. Yeah. Backstage, and he was so nice yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know? And so I would start going to see these guys when they come around. You know, any of them. The Lone Star used to put a lot of them on. Yeah, and then I got to play with Pine Top, and I got to play with Willie Johnny Dixon. Johnson, and I never played with Willie. You know, I played with Junior Wells. I played with, uh, you know, <laughs> sober. Great. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> yes. Never sober. We've discovered now, though, that me and my couple of my friends are the new old guys, and there's no old guys left. The old guys that we saw weren't that old, you know, when we saw them. Uh, yeah, a lot of those guys didn't live too long. So, all right, so Max pulls you in. Well, he pulled me in, and then and then we did an audition, and it turns out that Jeff Ross, you know. Yeah. That's not Jeffrey Ross, right. or not Jeff Ross, the, the producer, other Jeff the Ross. Producer, yeah. yeah, there's like three Jeff Rosses yeah. out there that we know. But Jeff Ross was the road manager for Diana Ross. Is that true? Yes. That's funny what, that, that was... they, they used to call him Mr. Ross, but he wasn't really. Um, but in the band, in Diana's touring band, was Pender and La Bamba. Yeah. So when we walk in, he sees them, and it's like almost a done deal. Yeah. You know? Of course... Uh, I'm not sure Robert Smigel was was involved. Robert Smigel was a producer also at on the, the first show, on yeah. the first season. Yeah. So he he loved us too, you know, and Conan loved it. So, you know, there might have been one guy that wanted, uh, you know, the Lounge Lizards, you know, and what, what, John uh, Mark, John Lurie's John, John band. Lurie, yeah, yeah, John yeah, yeah. Lurie's band. But right. you know, it turns out that John Lurie anyway did okay because he actually wrote the first theme. You know, he did. Well, yeah, but yeah. Of the Conan O'Brien show? Yeah, a person whose name will be unnamed right now. Uh, I, what do I care? Yeah. So I'm... We're, I might as well say this. What? what can happen? Nothing. Nothing can happen. So I'm... You know, we get the gig. Right. You know, Howard Shore, who was Lauren's yeah. buddy. Right. And, uh, you know, an Academy Award winning, uh, you know... Uh, orchestra... Uh, rather, a uh, composer. Right. Composer. Uh, yeah. 
was Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, MD for a long time and right. wrote, wrote everything up there. Right. He says, all right, well, I wrote a theme, you know, I wrote a theme. Me and Max wrote, put a theme together. And he says, oh, so it's, um, I'm, I'm going to write the theme. I'm, I'm going to write. The, That's oh, a okay. fucking paycheck forever. Okay, yeah. I'm going to write the theme. Yeah. So the very first idea I hear is our idea of bass and drums going. Do, 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 do. I said, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah. And then I hear the other part. You know, I hear the other. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah, I hear yeah. that. So, well, that's interesting. It's very Thelonious Monk-like. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was getting. Str- he would he would fax me at the time. We were still on fax machines. Right. Ninety four. Right. Ninety three. Yeah. Oh, here's a little bit. And then put them all together, and then we put the whole thing together. So, wow, it's amazing the way this guy works. He just keeps feeding me little bits and putting them together like a puzzle. And then we got this amazing piece out of it. Yeah. Boy, he writes weird. Yeah. The show's going on for about six weeks. Jeff Ross calls me into the office and says, uh, we got a problem. Yeah. John Lurie called me. He says, that's his theme. So I said, well, simply, let's look at John Lurie's audition tape. And there it is. Boom, note for note. No shit. <laughs> there it is. Wow. The theme. Yeah. The whole thing, right? Yeah. And I'll, and then, you know, the answer was, well, I always intended to pay him and split, oh, split it. Oh, man. End up, so ends up, Lurie didn't get the gig, but he got a lot of bread out of the, out of the, the deal. For the first, what, 10 years? Well, you know, for the first 16 years. So he did all right. He did okay, John did, yeah. Without having to put up, you know, without having to actually come to work, but but I'll tell you that that's it's a, a funny story. it's a funny story, you but, know. I mean, but that seems. But to that's ha- it's so lazy to do that, you it, know. It's, it's, and whether it's, he, it's, he may have intended to to bring criminal. John in, I, who the hell knows? But John had to call and say, "What's up?" <laughs> you know, and it wasn't my job, right. to research the song, right. right? So anyway, it all turned out that you know John got half of his song anyway. Oh, good. So <laughs> half a half he, of something is better than all or nothing. He, he you seems know? like a you don't want to fuck with that guy. He's well, a cranky no, man. guy. And he's, he's, he's in those jar, those Jarmish movies, right? He's in like Mystery Train and uh, yeah. But he's yeah. also like uh, I see him on Twitter. He's uh, he's I want to interview him, but he's up in he's in New York and he's, yeah. Remember the fishing show he had? Too? Yeah, yeah. No, I love the guy. I yeah. love the Lounge Wizards. Oh yeah, he's a good. That was and a good I because Steve Bernstein's a friend of mine who was you know in that band yeah. and and part of that downtown scene. What you know, what do you want to play? Uh... Oh, we'll do. I'll do you. I'll play a song. We'll debut a song of mine that's that hasn't been. Uh, what, it's, can I handle it? Yeah, sure you can. It's like a oh, Jimmy it just Reed fills? song. All right, good. except there's a little one little thing. It's a yeah. You can play the fills. You'd be the second guy. Hey, I'm it's an A. a. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you need a little something. Then you need a little something more. You can buy a your five and dime or your local convenience store. You got a itching for it. You got a itching for it, boy. You got a itching for something. Itching you just can't scratch. Might be a little railroad gin Might be a little bit of China white Off of a boat that just come in You got a itching for it You got a itching for it 
just can't scratch Sometimes you do a little evil Then you call your back door friend Every time her husband slipping out You go sliding in You got a itching for it Something tight Man, you just can't scratch it Scratch one out for me Go So now um, you're the band leader. You're the guy. Yeah. And was that was that like when you take a gig like that, like you know, you do all those years on the old show, and then he brings you in to be the Tonight Show band. That must have been like now I'm the Tonight Show band. Yeah. And then he keeps he keeps you in, in the loop, and now you're the you're the the band leader and the star of the show. As a as a, a lifetime musician, this is a great gig. Well, I mean, to work 20 years at anything in this business, yeah, uh, and then and then find out you got more time coming, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's nice, and yeah. and um, you know, the the uh, rude awakening that we all received, yeah. And for the man who I would be ever uh, feel like a brother, Conan, to to rally. Like a father from a big Irish family. Right, Everything's right. going to be okay, kids. <laughs> yeah. I think he saw his father in this same situation in life uh-huh. and felt all of us as family and treated us that way. 
and um, he said to me when it happened, he said, so you're going to hear something before it happened, but I want you to know you're going to hear something in a couple of minutes. Yeah. I want you to know everything's going to be okay. Uh-huh. You know, and th- and we're doing the right thing. Right. You know, and and we are. Now, I, I think we're like a little commune up on the hill, right. uh, you know, growing our <laughs> own food. Right. Hunting our own deer or whatever we're doing. Maybe we're vegetarians. You know, uh-huh. maybe we have Birkenstock sandals. I don't yeah. know. But we're looking down into the valley and watching the idiots war and kill each other in the networks. Yeah. You know, uh, scrambling like chickens without heads, not knowing what's happening. With and you and I know the landscape is drastically changing, and we're sure. trying to stay on top of that with social media and everything else that's happening. You know, and we. You know, we're allowed to do this, me and you can be here doing this in yeah. this country, you know, yeah. and and we don't care about about the corporate suits anymore. They're not breathing down our necks here. Yeah. And we felt that at Universal. When we were over there and moved to Hollywood, yeah. those guys were lurking like slime on the walls yeah. Man, yeah. Know, every day, yeah. second guessing every move we made, yeah. sucking all the funny out, right. you know, and trying right. to make us common. It made him, un- it made him tense. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, made and, everything and, tense. You know, and we're just coming around from that knockout punch. Sure, you know, you guys are doing great, and you still go out and play and do your shit. Yeah, and you know, there's one more chapter that the most important thing that happened to me was uh, the time I spent in Woodstock and being neighbors with Levon Helm. Uh-huh. You know, and and right when he got sick, uh, I went over there every day that I could and hang out with him. Yeah, throat cancer. Yeah, and and uh, I was there doing a, uh, I was up doing a. Uh, a, uh, one of the Happy Trams, uh, you know, instructional videos with Johnny Johnson on Boogie Woogie Piano. We were taping it, and Levon heard Johnny was in town. He came over, and he had just gotten from his first radiation. His neck was like red, yeah, with aloe dripping from it. The steam was still coming off of yeah. it. He just wanted to meet Johnny Johnson, and he said to me. Jimmy V, and he named me Jimmy V because Vivino was a name that was, wasn't coming out of his Arkansas mouth. Uh-huh. You know, it's Vivano. V. Yeah, yeah. So finally, just called me Jimmy V, and that's from, from then I'm still, you know, yeah. still that. Yeah. And uh, he said, You ought to bring Johnny over to the barn and bring a truck up and uh, bring, bring a truck up and, and, and record him while we're up here, you know? And I did. And I with, rented with a Levon piano. On drums? And Levon, Levon, Rick played, Garth played. Richard Bell played. Danko played? Yeah, they're all gone, you know, and, and Johnny Johnson played. And What uh, album's that? Uh, it's not, it's, I, I, I'm still sitting on it. How's it it's sound? It's 15 years ago. I, I'm, I'm thinking of putting it out now. How's it sound? It sounds great. Holy shit. Uh, it's, it's, I cut 27 tracks or something. Who sang? Everybody? Well, it's mostly my record. It's my record, but Rick, Rick and I and Levon did some backups and, and Rick did most of the vocals with me. Um, and Johnny Johnson, we did it basically because Johnny was there. And then I came back again. We did two sessions in October of '99, uh-huh. and I and I, I uh, 15 years now. I've been sitting on it because guys were dropping one by one. Yeah, and I was like, I can't put this out. I can't be one of those posthumous guys, like you know, because somebody died, something comes out. Now yeah. it's been lo- a long time for all of them, and uh, and you know, and uh, that put it out now out of respect. Yeah, you know, I'm going to put it out right. now. I'm going to put it out now. I- I'm working on it now. Now, out of all the guys you played with, you, you know, you were what, what was the story on the Seeger sessions? Uh, well, I wasn't part of that at all. Oh, you doing part no, of that? No, no. I Bruce, I I worked with Bruce a couple of times. It was great. I was in, uh, I was in, um, you know, we worked a couple of those Christmas shows down in Asbury Park that were uh-huh. just great. We had great fun. And uh, I played bass on one track, uh, 
but I didn't get credited. I didn't, that I, was the only time you worked with I, him? I, I didn't get credited because nobody but E Street Band guys get credited, but I got paid. Yeah. You was, know, they said to me, hey, we paid you, you know? Who was the best, like, when you talk about He Keith, was great in the room, though. He's nice Bruce guy. In, Bruce <laughs> in the room uh, with his book. Yeah. Writing songs in front of your very eyes, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But who's the, like, you talk about Keith and, you know, the guys who, you know, you got, like, you are, you have the opportunity to drive your band, but when you're working with well, other Well, Levon, Levon, when we did the, you know, we put the barn burners together. Yeah. And then we, and then um, after that, we started the ramble uh-huh. there, you know? Uh-huh. So working with, turning around with Levon Helm on drums. Yeah. Uh, and Garth, you know, sometimes yeah. uh, being around those guys, yeah. for me too, yeah. like everyone else we've talked about, there's something that comes out of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. As I saw them many times as a unit and was blown away every time, uh, no matter what shape they were in, uh-huh. something great. It was kind of like a jalopy with bad springs going uh-huh. down the road. It'll get you there. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> just yeah. don't get sick, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, so, um, you know, some people that you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine a guy named Willie Nile who yeah. who I've known for so long every time I played with him pure yeah like punk rock you yeah. know pure BB yeah. uh, King anytime yeah you know anytime Al Cooper uh, John Sebastian my friends Felix Cavalier you know all these great players Johnny Johnson was key Levon was key in my uh, my upbringing. Even at an older age, I was still learning stuff from these guys. You like know? what? Well, you know, Levon, Johnny Johnson was great in, at at saying, um, you know, at look shooting you a look across the stage if you were playing too busy. Right. You know, <laughs> Bernard Purdy was great in saying that if your rhythm is louder than my hi hat, then it's too loud. Yeah. When you solo, you can play as loud as you want. But when you're playing rhythm, you better hear my hi hat. You know, and the bass player better be with my bass drum. You know, I mean, this is the greatest drummer. You know, one yeah. of the, one of the greatest drummers ever. And when right. they give you advice, you <laughs> better it. listen to them. You know. <laughs> yeah. And and Levon's thing was he was great, man. About don't play it. You know the way anyone else has ever played it. I realized with Levon that the arrangements came from within. Right. Uh, he didn't want anybody walking in like what I was used to do and say, okay, here's your part, here's your part. He was like, let's get it out of each player. This is the way the band must have operated. Right. That it was an organic thing. It came together. You know, they took time to make arrangements. It didn't, well, nobody wrote it down and said, right. here's how it goes. Just kept playing it. And each person was responsible for their yard, you know? Yeah. And then their own side of the street, as it were. Right, you know? and, right. And, um, but at the same time, you have to be aware of what, what's going on around you, and, and there's a space that needs to happen. They were great at, uh, you know, Garth would weave. You know, Levon said when we cut this this record about 15 years ago, he said... I went back for the second set of sessions after Johnny Johnson had gone back to St. Louis and Mike and James were in New York and I said to Lee, uh, how about if I call, you know, Rick and Weeder and Randy and you and Garth and Richard Bell and we do it like, you know, he goes, well, we, we haven't played together in the studio for years. And I said, well, we, you need to, you know, for me, you yeah. need to. So he said, yeah, but I'll tell you one thing, don't bring Garth in for the sessions. <laughs> Garth, he goes, bake the cake. <laughs> and then Garth will put the icing on in the end, you know, and all the fancy stuff. Yeah. But the cake itself has to get baked, you know, first. And uh, he knew from years that yeah. th- this guy was a, uh, Garth is a genius. Yeah. You know, no yeah. one else that I know is a genius. Laura Nero may have been a genius too. She uh-huh. she taught me a lot 
you know, about singing. Mm-hmm. Her and Felix Cavallari and uh, and Eddie Brigatti from the Rascals, mm-hmm. they taught me more about singing than anybody, you know. Yeah. And Laura Nero too, you know, and and Dion, right? You know, Dion DiMucci. Yeah. Just and we're still working together. We're going to make a record. Uh, he does some blues records. Yeah, now, yeah, right? yeah. We're going to make one in October. I'm going to somewhere. I had no idea that he was doing those blues records. They're pretty amazing. Yeah, because I put when he came out of just singing Christian music. Yeah. And we did a big I didn't show. Know he did that. Yeah, we did a big show. Uh, my friend Dick Fox called me, who was going to manage Dion, and yeah. he used to put all those oldies shows together. He said, Dion's not an oldies guy, man. He's a rock and roll guy. You know, Lou Reed was yeah. hanging with him yeah. and shit, you know. Yeah. And we put a great show together at that we, the, the reunion of him and a lot of the Belmonts, you know, and, and, the, and the Del Satins, and, and we did, like, his entire book, including Abraham, Martin, and John, like, uh-huh. everything. And then we just got to be buddies, like Bronx buddies. Yeah. You know, and we're yeah. still really great friends to this day, and we're going to work together more. Did you know any of those punk guys? Did you know Thunders and those guys? I knew Thunders. I had to, <laughs> because, you know, I, 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 Johansson and I are really tight. We yeah. work with Hubert, you yeah. know, together. And he knew my brother Floyd, and, you know, yeah. David was uh, always one of my buddies, man. So, uh, you know, Thunders, I, I, I met. We had gone up to some fucking shooting gallery together or something, you know, uh-huh. and I yeah. didn't know where I was going. Right. We were out <laughs> at, somewhere to, at a club, and, and we said, let's jam. Yeah. Johnny said, I said, okay. So we go up to this place. It's like a loft, and people are just laying around. Yeah, right? yeah. There's instruments set up, though. Yeah. And yeah. then by the time we, I, and I was not doing any of that. I was just drinking, yeah. you know? I didn't know what was going on. Right. And then we were going to play, and... and Nothing was happening, man. <laughs> you know, and I realized that this is a long process to get something happening with you know, him. He, yeah, he really meant well to play. Yeah, he wanted to play. Yeah, he but he couldn't play. Yeah, yeah. You know, at That's that point, sad, yeah. though, he made some great music. I he think, did. I think the Heartbreaker stuff is some of my favorite it's great. Chinese rock. Great, you know, yeah. some and that of that first, stuff. that first fucking New York Dolls record. Yeah, yeah. It's him crazy. and Jerry Nolan were great together. Yeah, Even both in, of them he, dead. Yeah, yeah, and D and Didi. You know, yeah. the Heartbreakers with Dee Dee and him and Jerry and Dee Dee gone. Yeah. You know, I, I knew Joey pretty good. I, I Joey was a sweet guy. He was like us with records. Yeah. You know, Joey was, and Joey would talk to you like he was so tall. Yeah. He to bend over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, talk out of the side of his mouth. So I got this, you know that record by the the, the, the teddy bears, you know, <laughs> like the most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was a, he was a, he was a final nut, man, like 45s. Yeah. You know, Joe, oh, he really know, liked know the what's stuff. on A-side, B-side, label, oh, really? you know, like that scene in, uh, the scene in uh, Diner. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. They, you know, yeah, he was that guy. Where Daniel Stern's like, okay, I'm not going to marry you. Can you tell me what's the B-side of this record, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I'm not, I'm not yeah, that... What color was the label? You know, it was, it was really great. Yeah, I'm you know? not that much of a nerd, but I, uh, you know, I like listening to the music. No, uh, no, I mean, not, you know you know good music man you know I do. Well, I you get, know what you like and what you don't like well, I keep learning new stuff you know yeah. I keep like hearing stuff that, uh, that I never knew you know it's just yeah. uh, it, it's amazing like stuff I missed yeah and it's a great to be able that's the great thing about music is you can always discover it it doesn't go away well the great thing about uh, New York at the time that I was playing there in in the early 90s was in the 80s was I got to you know through through my playing in a club uptown I got to know Donald Fagan I got to know Warren Haynes I got to know Derek Trucks when he was a kid you know all yeah. these guys would come into this club I played and we would play yeah you know I had a band with Harvey Brooks a, a little big band and yeah. we played at a place called Hades on 94th Street and Fagan lived around the corner 
and he would come and sit in, you know. And then we started doing these New York Nights things and these rock and soul reviews. And one night, Walter Becker walks in, and he's walking along the wall. And me, I'm just going to be the big mouth Italian and call him up, right. make him come, shame him into coming right. up. And he was very private. He didn't want to play, yeah, but he did play. And then Steely Dan got back together, right? And, you know, because they that. realized that they should be playing together. Why not? You know? Now Walter and I have this love hate relationship you know yeah. that's that's great <laughs> well that's no, the he, amazing thing about new york too and, and and maybe a little in la but it seems more in new york is that people go out yeah. you know you go four blocks to see your buddy play and then if you set up an environment where you can make that shit happen yeah they're like come on come on you can, and your band can hold it so you hold the space for these guys to be able yeah. to do that i think what keyed walter was when when uh when when Donald and I were doing these 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 gigs together, yeah, someone took a picture of me and Donald, and then there's a Steely Dan bootleg that came out on CD, and it's a picture of me and Donald, and, just, and Walter <laughs> sends it to me, and he <laughs> what says, "What's fuck? this?" I I send him back. I said, "You were never that good looking." First of all, and second <laughs> of all, all that means is you should be playing with Donald, and it shouldn't be me on the cover of that CD. Yeah, you know, and then they got back a, together. But a brilliant cat, man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was such a fan of those guys. And we get to meet them, and most of the time. You know, Donald, Michael McDonald, night greatest guy, man. You meet these guys, Boz Skaggs, and you find them along the way that 99% of the people you love are, 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 are Pretty great good guys. Pe- are yeah, good yeah. people. You Except know? for Chuck Berry. Yeah, but that's but to everybody. <laughs> if he could punch Keith Richard <laughs> yeah. and he could like diss John Lennon yeah. on the Mike Douglas show, right? well, then why not me? Yeah, it's, it's just a general problem. Listen, I was walking out of NBC once and Rickles was around, you know, yeah. and I had my long black coat on and a hat and he goes... And I, and I let him in the elevator, and he says, thank you, Rabbi. Yeah. I said, well, that's good. I got insulted by Rickles. In a way, I got recognized. That's you know? right. That's right. It's like Bob Dylan. If he says something good or bad to you, he said something to you. Have you had experience with him? Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't talk about it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love Bob Dylan. <laughs> I mean, love him. You don't talk about it. I love him. You, know? you played with him? Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 you know we, we've, we've had moments. Mm-hmm. You know, any any sometimes any uh, connection yeah. with these guys is enough. It doesn't matter, know? good or bad. It doesn't matter. On a good day, you don't get a good day every day. No, you know? no. And, um, and just the fact that they, they see you, for better or worse, you right. know, in a room <laughs> yeah. and recognize you is enough. Sure. You know, I've had mostly good experiences. You yeah, know? good. Uh, and unlike anybody else, there, is never, there will never be another Bob Dylan. Nobody will ever be as great as Bob Dylan right. to me. Right. As important in right. my life. You know, because I think that he's in the center of all of this. You know, what's happening. Right. You know, what, and and will be for... Now he made a Frank Sinatra record or something. Right? Did he? Made, yeah, he made a record like a, in, at Capitol or something. I don't know. He made like a... It's not some out yet? sort of a... No, no, it's not out yet, but he made some sort of a standards record. Interesting. But, you know, I mean, why not? Well, now also with the the way that the singer-songwriter thing is happening, again, he's just really still at the center of it. Well, I mean, he's every a, record has great songs on it. Yeah. No, no doubt. You know, and always yeah. have. And, yeah. and, uh, and uh, boy, that last one, yeah. the Duquesne Whistle, the very first song on it, just kills me. Yeah, man. yeah. He's, and the, uh, the Roman Kings. I mean, there's just... So much great music. Yeah, in he's a he's a, he's just a it's, he's just a mountain. Well, you know a good you know a a a great writer doesn't have to just write about their life. You know what happens with and comedy too, and 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 music. A lot of people become complacent in their success, right. and then they can't write anymore, right. or they can't be funny anymore. Right. But a true writer. 
Can't stop. Doesn't really. He's not just telling you about himself right. or what's going on in his life. He's an observation, you know. Yeah. He can always see and feel what's, and he's plus also well read. Right. Right. So right. fiction. Right. And he also has got that hunger. He's still hunting. And fiction is the biggest part of his life. He's the biggest yeah. bullshitter going. He I always need, has need, been. Right. Oh, always. Yeah. Bob, he invented yeah. himself. Sure. Always. Every, you know. every few years. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's. Uh, I, I could use a little fiction. Well, no, I mean, you know, we go through it. We go through the <laughs> yeah. same thing. We, we're like in purgatory with women and with everything yeah. else. Yeah. I just keep perpetuating the same fucking mistake, <laughs> you know, but that's okay. I do too. Yeah, I'm but it's, as long as it's not with the same person over and over again. <laughs> well, the trick is not to get cynical. Uh, well, that's then the we have, neither of us have a career. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jimmy, thanks, man. Yeah. How amazing was that? I got to play with Jimmy Vivino. I think I did okay. I think I dropped the ball for a second, but I did all right. It's no, it's nerve wracking. I was nervous. Love that guy. Go to jimmyvivino.com if you want to pick up his record and check out a history, the history of Jimmy Vivino. Uh, it's great. Isn't it great to like you know you see that guy in Conan, and, and now you know that guy. What a, what a great musician. Well, I I love him. I love him. Go to wtfpod.com. Get that app if you want it. Um, JustCoffee.coop, as always. They've been with me for years since before since before this show. JustCoffee.coop has been with me. Yeah, they were one of my first advertisers back when I was doing a streaming video show. All right, let's see if I can manage this fucking guitar. I mean, I think I'm just going to do... Like, I can't... You can't do any songs because then I have to pay for them. But that's fortunate because I don't know too many songs. But let's see, maybe I'll get on a psychedelic muddy riff. Not a muddy waters riff, but just a muddy... I, I like three chords. Three chords is good. I, shut up. If you're going to play, play. I don't know what just happened there. Boomer lives!